What's it like when one of your friends on death row is led away to be executed? You have a prepaid call from William A. Aguirre. An inmate at the California State Prison, San Quentin. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. I had to be a different, complete guy, which is the guy who walked the walkways of San Quentin's death row and without a gang, without a, a group of people around. It was just me. Soon after you went into to be on death row, and you didn't really understand the prison workout system so much. But then he said, we're going to do 75 sets of it. To me, that seems extreme. So I'm wondering if there's a danger of overtraining, wearing yourself out so that you're... No, no, that's actually funny. That's, and it's funny. I'll tell you why. Gonna, that's a good one, Matt. Welcome to Death Row Diaries. I'm Matt Ralston. And I'm William Nogueira. And today we're going to be talking about the history of the death penalty, especially in California. You're in San Quentin State Prison on death row right now, if we have any new listeners. And and we're going to get into the, the specifics of that. Uh, I mean, you've been given an execution date in the past, right? And uh, it is supposed to it's encompass um, torture as well. The tortures at San Quentin Prison and kind of the conditions here, and kind of to further the whole thing on the yard episode that we had a few episodes back. So I think it's going to be very interesting for the listeners to get an insider's view of what really happens here or what has happened here. Yeah, for sure. So before we get into that, first I want to say we appreciate you following us on Instagram and Facebook. That is at Death Row Diaries. And we appreciate you listening to the show and telling a friend and make sure you rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts because that's very important. Oh, we have a quick listener question. This is from my friend Brian in Alaska. And he says, I looked up San Quentin State Prison on Wikipedia, and it says that the inmates refer to it as the gallery. So I don't trust a lot of stuff I read on Wikipedia. He wants to know if I went into San Quentin State Prison and referred to it as the gallery, would I get beat up or would people know what I was talking about? Essentially, do you actually do that or not? That's, again, a bunch of horse manure. Listen, this is this whole new San Quentin mainline. I, I've explained this before. The mainline is a level one and two for guys who are going to get out real soon. There's it's a college campus out there. Look, behind the walls of Death Row, where I'm at, East Block, no one refers to anything as a gallery. You're either a convict or a freaking inmate. And a convict is, what I've explained a million times, it's a guy who actually is a convict. He's, he's respectful of staff, but he demands respect in return. He is the elite. And then there are inmates who are, well, for lack of a better term, just a freaking moron. They'll do whatever it takes to do whatever just to survive, and they're just, well, they're pieces of garbage. So that's my best take on it. I know that's politically incorrect, but at this point, I mean, what are they going to do, right? Yeah, I, I'm just picturing some journalists walking into the prison to interview someone, and he's like, hey, guys, we're in the gallery, right? And it's just crickets. Yeah, that, that, that stuff does not exist. I mean, this, this is just people making stuff up to make it look nice. Look, look, this is prison, and there are no ponds, there are no golf carts, not cruising around next to a pond and laying out and cooking dinner together and sharing kumbaya stories next to the fireplace. No. Where I'm at, this is a level four prison. You're always cuffed up. There is no kumbaya. And every time you walk onto the yard, there's a very good chance you're going to get killed. So, yeah, please uh, take that stuff with a grain of salt. I know popular shows on television, popular podcasts have all these people, so-called uh, convicts who went to prison for a year for some DUI or some you know, uh, nonviolent crime. And they talk about how great it was and how, how hardcore it was. You know, or they're a rapper that wants to get a little bit of street cream, but that doesn't happen on death row. If you're a rapper and you're on death row, you're probably in protective custody because someone's going to try and kill you or pressure you out of your money. So that is the take on that, Ryan. So that is it. 
in a few words. Yeah, so I know that you are a student of the history of San Quentin State Prison, which is interesting to me because a lot of people, just because they live somewhere, that doesn't necessarily mean that they know anything about the history of where they are. Like, I travel a lot. Um, you know, I've traveled for work. And if I if I go to some town in Nebraska, I could probably say, why is it called Lincoln? And half the people will stare blankly at me. You know, um, it's just not something people do all the time. Not everyone's curious to know the the circumstances, the background of the circumstances of where they are. So uh, it it is something that you've studied pretty thoroughly, right? It is, and I'm a little bit different than most guys. Call it curiosity or just an interest about the history of where I'm at and why I'm here. Um, a lot of guys here just watch television all day and write letters to stay in contact with people. Um, I just think there's a lot of information here that needs to be mined, minded, or is that correct? Minded, minded. Okay, so, um, and I, I look to see it because I want to know what made this place what it is. What really happened here to give this place the reputation, the reputation that it has, the reputation that it has. And it's important for me because um, it, it kind of allows me to understand human behavior as well. Uh, if you know the history of this place, you know how violent it's been, and it doesn't take much to understand the type of violence that exists behind these prison walls. Um, specifically where I'm at, which is like walking in, into a time zone in 1977. Uh, but yeah, I've spent not only time reading the history of it in books, but also experiencing it from older convicts that I met 35, 38 years ago who would speak about some of the things that happened here. So I've got first-hand account as well as witness it myself. And then, of course, I've read about the history of it. And as you know, Matt, I wrote a manuscript uh, entitled Penitentiary Horror, uh, and it has a history of some of these things I'm talking about in it. Um, so, yeah. So, I guess today we'll keep it kind of to the the execution aspect, you know, the, the death penalty aspect, because... Like I said, you're on death row, and you're on death row. There's a gas chamber there that you have seen before, and it's it has a presence there, right? Oh, absolutely. You can see it. As soon as you step onto the yard, which is, for those that don't know, it, it's, a, it's basically a cement block. It has, um, depending on what yard you're on, you have a 15-foot wall, that stands facing the area. And you can look across, if you could, and see Richmond, the city of Richmond, but we cannot because we stand behind a huge 15-foot brick wall. And uh, it's basically a cement box when, when gunners who are only 15 feet above us shoot because of incidents on the yard pertaining to violence. Ricochet bullets are going everywhere. And there's a very good chance you're going to get hit and Many people have been hit by ricochets. But if you stand at the end of the yard or any place on the yard and you look towards the um, east, you can actually see the chamber and the, the huge stacks that, that are basically where the, the cyanide um, comes up and it leaves the prison gas chamber. So you can see it's, it's green in color. And on top of it, it has a huge antenna, so you can't miss this thing. There's a huge presence of this thing being here. Now, whether it really affects people, yeah, when you get it, you see it, it, it kind of has a daunting effect on you. But because of this, the, the state of the uh, execution machine, it, it, it is what it is. You look at it and you say, okay, whatever. Yeah, and those who don't know, the gas chamber is no longer uh, would be the method of execution were they to resume. Uh, there haven't been executions for quite some time, but um, the execution method now throughout most of the country is lethal injection. So why don't yeah, exactly. we why don't we go back to the beginning? You know, uh, 
in California. Um, I guess we're talking the first prisons were during the gold rush era. There's a lot of lawlessness and, uh, the, you know, they started, uh, executing people who misbehaved and, so what kind of methods were going on early on? Well, yeah, you're right. Before San Quentin was San Quentin, it was a patch of sand. And there, there were executions taking place in the state of California because, as you said, the gold rush was going on. There was people from all around the world coming here. There was murder. There was air croppings. There was torture. There was robberies. And the method of punishment was execution by hanging, but these weren't, um, uh, the method was hanging, but it wasn't done by any state-sanctioned authority. It was basically a bunch, a lynch mob that found a guy, they figured this guy's guilty of rustling or whatever he may thought he did, and they would just throw a rope over a tree and hang him right there. This took place all the way into the 1950s, I'm sorry, 1850s, because San Quentin Prison was born in 1852. And even while the prison was placed where it is, there was no official um, execution uh, ritual or method. It was just hanging out on the streets, in San Francisco, anywhere. It wasn't until um, 1856 uh, that they started breaking in the different uh, murder uh, specified murder, first degree, second degree. And then it was in 1891 that the prison was given the responsibility of carrying out executions. And those executions were by hanging. The first uh, execution chamber, if you want to call it, was basically the old furniture factory here at San Quentin Prison. It was a, a furniture factory that they had been using inmate labor to produce furniture for different uh, entities in San Francisco. And on the third floor, they constructed in a little corner these gallows. And um, they, they basically just brought you in and strapped you to, a, to a, a rope around your neck and really just executed you there. Um, the, the most, uh, I guess, scientifically... Uh, renowned thing that they had or equipment they had was the rope itself. The rope was specially made by the Tums, the Tubbs company, and it was a three-quarter inch diameter manila that was stretched until it was no longer had any bounce or anything because they didn't want the person to bounce. They wanted when the trap door opened that it would immediately just bring the person to a halt. That way it would snap the neck. So you don't really die from strangulation when you're executed by hanging. Your neck is actually snapping too. So not a pretty sight, right? No. Do people's heads ever pop off when they're hanged? I mean, I'm picturing if there's a lot of bounce. Maybe, maybe that could happen. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because there was an incident where a guy was decapitated. And look, this is absolutely true. <laughs> this is not made up, but there was a guy in uh, 1898, and his name was John Miller. And I swear this is true. He was a hunchback, and they didn't know how they were going to execute this guy because, of course, you know, he has a hunch on his back, and it's, it's very difficult to uh, to really get a noose around his neck. So they constructed a special rope, and they figured they would let him drop a certain distance so he would happened quickly well they miscalculated and when the trap door opened he fell through it actually took john miller's head off and there were a lot of writers for the san francisco papers and they became violently ill so yeah definitely there was an execution where a person's head was taken completely clean off his shoulders wow but still, I guess this was an improvement over the previous system where, like you said, it was kind of lynch mobs, roughneck guys, not, I'm picturing not a lot of legal experience, you know, this was done on a county level. Do you, 
I don't know if you'd have any way of knowing this, but I'm curious. I mean, do you think they got it right a lot of the times or were they just hanging people they didn't get along with? Yeah, that's really hard to say, but knowing people and knowing the human profile as I do, you know, you give a lot of people power and they're going to abuse it. When you have these lynch mobs, there's a mob mentality. Um, they get to, they get very worked up. And if someone says, hey, that's the killer or that's the guy who stole my horse, they're not taking into account the person's credibility. They're not taking into account that he could be lying. There could be another vendetta going on there. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that were strung up on trees. And that really was by strangulation. You actually strangled to death. It wasn't where a trap door opened and, and, a, and a weighted uh, bag fell and snapped your neck as the, lo- the rope became cut. This was basically a person put on a horse, they put a noose around his neck, and when the horse was made to run, the person began to swing and just choke to death. So I am sure there's a lot of people that were executed in that form that were probably innocent. You know, and, the, and we know by today's standards and what we know today about executions that there have been a number of people that were actually innocent of the crimes that they were charged and convicted of that were executed in modern times. So there have been hundreds of executions in California. How many people were innocent? That's a very good question, and we'll probably never know the answer to it. Um, but the first official execution at San Quentin which is very curious because it was a Native American who was killed. His name was Jose Gabriel. And he was uh, convicted of murdering uh, a Southern California couple in 1892. And by March the 3rd, 1893, one year after his conviction, he was put to death by hanging at San Quentin, which marks the first official execution at San Quentin. Wow. So I had no idea, and I guess that's the point of the podcast. I'm learning something. I didn't know that there were weights involved to drag the the victim down further. Is that like an early attempt at a more humane method, or is it just convenience? Well, it, well the method wasn't to drag the person down. There is obviously a rope on the person's neck, and when the rope, the person trapdoor falls, and the person is falls to be suspended in midair by the rope, there are weights attached to the other side of the rope. So when the person falls, and the weights at the same time uh, hit a point where they become taut, the weight itself while it's going down, gravity takes over and it pulls taut so quickly, so fast that it snaps your neck. So yeah, it is a form of execution, at least in what they believed was to make it a little bit more humane and to make sure you died. That was the point. It was to make sure that you died. And the only way to do that was to make sure your neck was snapped. Like a knot effect, like essentially you're pulling it from both sides. Yeah, but it's a sudden, it's like, when the person falls, the weights fall too. So at some point, they become, you know, taunt, and it, it, it's like a popping effect. And when it pops, it snaps your neck. Do you actually hear a neck snapping? Well, I mean, I'd have to travel and kind of tell you that one, but I would imagine that there is a, it would be muffled because of the weight. While the weight's hit and the rope becomes taut, there's probably a sound there, so you probably imagine that it is the neck. I'm sure it's the rope that you're hearing as it snaps and a trap door falling open. What do you call someone that takes someone to the gallows again? Is it a hangman or what? what's the... Well, he's the official executioner. And, mm. yeah, so there's, it's, it's an executioner, and uh, that person could be called a hangman. Okay. So, San Quentin State Prison, and I think others throughout the country, but particularly this one, has this history, documented history of torture in addition to the executions. And it lasted up until pretty modern times. What were some of the devices that were implemented to torture prisoners 
Yeah, no, that's a very good question because when you think of torture, you think of you know flogging, you think of those things. But the first torture that they had here at the prison was were the conditions. The conditions were so horrible that many reports were written. The governor came into the, the prison to, to, to stop the conditions because they were so bad. Starvation was number one. People were being starved here. Um, they had no shoes. They would die of, uh, of pneumonia. Um, they had straw mattresses that were swarmed with lice. Um, the amount of, uh, of beatings that they were taking by guards was just horrendous. So that's, I guess, the first form of torture that really was going on at the prison. But as the prison began to get its buildings, the first building was the stones, and it became an actual prison, there became more specified forms of torture. And the first form was flogging, which in layman's terms is whipping. And they had a kind of an apparatus where they would tie you down. It was called the ladder. So they would take an inmate out, strap him to this ladder, and a guard would have a whip with a made out of rawhide. And this, I mean, people have seen the movies Indiana Jones with the whip. Those are the type of whips we're talking about. And there were specified numbers of stripes or lashes that you would receive for doing something wrong or what they perceive to be wrong. And, I mean, ladies and gentlemen, just think about that. You've seen those whips that people use on, you know, Indiana Jones and stuff. Imagine being hit by one of those things. Like every time it touches you, it cuts you open. So, so let me give you an idea of what type of punishment you'd get. So for lying to an official, you'd get 10 lashes. Now imagine just, imagine that for a moment, 10 lashes against your back. So basically 10 slices or 10 openings. If you, you're caught stealing because you're hungry, 12 lashes. If you get into a fight, 18 lashes. For insubordination, 30 lashes. For an attempt of escape, 60 lashes. These torture methods were so horrendous that it's reported that inmates on more than several occasions asked to be shot to death that they had to suffer this type of um, punishment. There is also an incident where a particular uh, guard, he was a lieutenant, his name was Moon, that he, he tortured a guy by hitting him 200 times with lashes. He was so exhausted from hitting the guy, he had to take a break, drink half a bottle of whiskey, come back, and continue. When he finished, the guy's back was in such tatters and ribbons that when they threw him in a dungeon a couple of days later, they pulled him out. The guy was still alive, but his whole back was alive with maggots. So you can imagine, that, because remember, there's no air conditioning, there's no, you know, these cells are open, there's flies flying in, they're laying eggs in this guy's back. This is horrible stuff. So that's the first method of torture, and that was flogging. And it kind of progressed. It kind of became a culture among the employees there. There were at least a few uh, wardens and, I guess, executioners who became kind of obsessed with it. Um, you know, I don't yeah, know if absolutely. sadistic yeah. people just gravitate to, to those kind of jobs. I'm sure they do to a degree. You know, this is pretty nasty well, stuff. No, it is, it is nasty stuff. And look, uh, there's, there's a bit of bias on my part because I've actually looked at it, the history of this place and, and the first couple of episodes of the Death Row Diaries um, were about this whole influence that lives within this place. And we've talked about some of the paranormal activity going on here and that these wards were influenced by something other than just hatred or that they gravitate towards positions of, you know, to keep people locked up or whatever. Um, so we won't get into that anymore, of course, because if people want to hear that, they can hear the first three episodes where we specifically talk about these uh, supernatural occurrences. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Interesting enough, it does progress. 
and it progresses to the point that it, it, it's, it's just cruelty. So listen to the next uh, torture device they come up with. The, the device is called, or the, uh, the application of it is called the shower. And the shower is, so the shower was the name of a torture device that they had that required the inmate to be tied down to an apparatus called the Gray Bear. And what they did is once they tied him up to this thing, they placed a three-quarter inch nozzle a few inches from his face, and they would turn all the water off in the prison so that the, the hose would have more pressure. And they would basically shoot this stream of water into his mouth and his nose until he passed out or died. I mean, this is extreme waterboarding. You see these waterboarding thing where a guy puts a blanket over the guy's face and they pour a jug of water over him. This is a three-quarter inch nozzle blowing uh, water into this guy's face. I mean, that's, I mean, that's crazy to think. So, I mean, what do you accomplish with that? I think it's just because you can do it. I don't know any other reason is that um, that certain people wanted to see what they could get away with, I guess. Same kind of people that kill squirrels and things like that, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty nasty stuff. I mean, this is really nasty stuff. Um, and it just, it progresses. They, I mean, they come up with this, they do this for a while. And then in 1903, they come up with a new device. And look, this device was talked about. It was they made reports about it, and they called it first cruel. They called it un-American, inhuman. And even after this, these reports came out about this particular um, device, San Quentin did it anyways. They continued on with this particular culture, and that. Uh, that torture method was called the appliance. And the appliance was a, con a, a canvas body bag or a, a vice. And basically strapped you into this thing and they just continued to tighten it like if you were being tightened and strangled by a anaconda or boa constrictor. You were constricted to death. And as they tightened this thing up, it began to break your bones it would cripple you severely. Every time you breathed in, it would tighten more. And they would put people in this device for hours, for days. The psychological torture of this device was so inhuman that guys killed themselves before they went through it. Um, and, and you think about it, the torture, as bad as it was, was physically, imagine psychologically what it would do to you to know that this is what's coming next to you. You know, it, it, what is next in line? You're number four, and when they finish with this guy, you're next. Uh, I, mean, I can't even imagine what that would feel like. Yeah, it's medieval. And I do think Americans, when they think of things like that, you know, they yeah, they picture a medieval village, and, and they have no idea that, this didn't happen that long ago. And so a lot of this stuff happened in the adjustment center. That's what they called it, right? Well, the adjustment center is a housing unit where the worst criminals are at, where the, the most dangerous ones. The actual torture took place in the dungeon. The entire prison now has been remodernized. The adjustment center didn't come into existence so late, much later on. And it was a form of psychological torture. It is still there, but a lot of those things that were there were taken away, like the quiet cells. They used to have these cells, and I was actually placed in a quiet cell for 28 days. And it's basically a cell that's inside the building where a steel door is the first, uh, how you enter the, the, the quiet cell. Then there is another set of bars with steel mesh over it, and they're also in front of you. So you have like a vestibule plus a big door, and you're thrown in there. Now, the filth that was in there. There was rats in there. It's just a horrible place to be. And I, I was only 23 years old when I was thrown in the first uh, quiet cell. And when I walked in there, it was just, it, it, it kind of hits you all at one time where your life is, has gone, where you're at now. You're, you're stuck in a very small cell. 
It's extremely hot. There's feces. There's racks. It's just a horrible place to be at. And I experienced that. Uh, those cells have been ruled inhuman since then and have been taken out. But um, as I was mentioning, the torture took place down by the dungeons. It's the only part of the prison that is still here from those times. And when you walk around the bend, which is down by the Justin Center, and you walk through the lower yard, you can see the actual the stones and the old door that's made as huge steel where the actual dungeon still is. And um, a lot of people have said over the years I've interviewed that, you know, you walk there late at night, it just gives you the heebie-jeebies because there's bad mojo all around that place. It's the only place that still exists from the prison from the 1800s that um, the historical society preserved. Yeah, it's interesting. It never occurred to me, but usually if there's some major atrocity in America, you know, uh, a civil war battle where a lot of people lost their lives or, you know, obviously the terrorist attacks uh, at Ground Zero, there's usually a monument there that explains kind of what happened. And it just occurred to me that there there isn't one. The whole prison is kind of that monument. Well, that's exactly right. The prison is the monument. I mean, San Quentin Prison, you know, for... For what it is, you know, there's been over 421 executions here. And as you mentioned, the first one, and we both talked about it, the first one was a Native American. You know, the, well, obviously you know this, but you, the last person executed was Clarence Ray Allen. He also was a Native American. Yeah, I guess people don't think of it as a monument, though, because it's operational. So how long is hanging the preferred method of execution? Yeah, well, there was, um, there was 215 official hangings at San Quentin. The hanging method or the method of execution being hanging ended in 1937 when the legislature passed a new law that made the gas chamber the preferred method of uh, executing a criminal. So they they never moved on to a firing squad or anything, uh, anything alternative like that. No, it's, it, at San Quentin there were no executions by firing squad or electric chair. Those are methods that were not used at this prison. When did it? When did the gas chamber become instituted? Uh, the gas chamber became the method of execution when the legislation passed the law in 1937 and replaced hanging after 215 hangings with the method of gas as the preferred method to kill criminals. And was hanging just obviously seen as archaic, barbaric, and so the gas chamber was this kind of progressive new idea? Yeah, it, it was the progressive idea. It was, it was the simpler way of doing it. They felt that it was more humane, at least it was more... It looked more like it was something done by the government rather than just being a guy out and lynching them. So, yeah, this took, um, this took effect in 1937, and then in 1938, the following year, they executed the first um, person in the gas chamber, and that was Robert Lee Cannon and a guy by the name of Albert Kessel. Those were the first two guys that were executed by um, gas. So there are still people on death row that were sentenced to die by gas, correct? Well, the majority of, our, of us were. I mean, I was sentenced to death by gas in 1988, and I was the 242nd person that was sentenced to death. And I've been on death row now close to 35, 36 years and nearly 40 years incarcerated. Uh, so there's a lot of guys here. I would say well over 400 guys or 500 guys that still have those sentences of execution by the gas chamber. But remember, there have been over 1,500 people sentenced to death since 1978 when the gas, I mean, the, 
the method of uh, execution was brought back by the Supreme Court and California voters voted Proposition 7 in effect. But over that time period, there's been people's cases have been reversed, guys died, they committed suicide, there were murders here. So a lot of 13 were executed, obviously. So there's been at least 1,500 people sentenced to death since that time. We have now a little bit over 400, uh, 740 guys on the row. But as you know, um, Governor Gavin also passed a moratorium, which basically stopped all executions from proceeding. So when people were still being executed, what was the, I don't know, consensus or what were the feelings surrounding the gas chamber? Or was it obviously the scary part is that you're going to be executed, but I mean, did people talk about what happens when you go into the gas chamber? Were there rumors or, you know, documented stories about this execution didn't go very well? Um, what was the kind of feeling around that? Well, I know firsthand because, um, I mean, I know, as I mentioned, Kevin Cooper, and he was taken into the gas chamber. He was strapped down and they were about to kill him when a call came from the courts to stop his execution. The same thing happened to Michael Morales. And I know both of those guys, and both of those guys live less than, well, uh, Kevin Cooper lives in cell 82. I'm in 77. I'm the fourth tier, and Michael Morales lives in cell 87. So I talked to both of those guys. So I have a first-hand account of what they felt. Um, and I can say this with complete honesty. Neither men, when they came back, were the same. Uh, Michael Morales went there. He was strapped in. He had already made peace with whatever God he, he worshipped, and he was ready to die. We had no choice, and they gave him a reprieve. When they bring him back, I, I, I talked to him, and he was not the same. It, it was a man who was... It's like they sucked the life out of him. And a guy who used to go out all the time now never goes out. And Kevin Cooper, when he came back, um, you know, he's always said, maintained that he's innocent. To be marched into a cell, strapped down to be executed, and then at the last second, at the last second, get a reprieve. Obviously, that's a good thing. But nevertheless, it takes a bit of your life from going to those extremes and they've never been the same so that's i mean it's, it's a scary process you're sitting in a chamber a room next to the gas chamber or the lethal injection room which is the same chamber they just change the the different methods um and there's there's a guard in front of your cell 24 7 watching you so you don't actually you don't kill yourself which is almost ironic think about that the state of california wants to kill you but and they don't want you to kill yourself. They want to do it themselves and make sure they carried out the sentence. So, and you're sitting there. So they ask you for your last meals. You get to see your family. You see a spiritual advisor. But, I mean, the whole time, you imagine what you're thinking, that these, these minutes, these seconds are, are going by little by little. And you know you're drawing closer to the moment that they strap you in and execute you. Whether it's painful or not, you know, the unknown, heaven, hell, whatever comes next, is a scary proposition. You step to the bars. So I ask these questions of these guys. What were you feeling? And they said, well, I stood up and I, I grabbed the bars, you know, to, to look to see, because I hear a key in the background, and you immediately stand up and you look to see what's going on. And they said that the bars are extremely cold. I mean, think about that for a moment. You, you put your fists around the bars, and they're extremely cold. And you hear a distant tease, footsteps coming. You don't know what's going on. That's, I mean, that's really scary stuff. I mean, a lot of guys probably say, oh, I can do it, no problem. Believe me when I tell you, if you die in a car accident, or for whatever it means, it's sudden, you don't know what's going on. But to know for weeks, years, days, minutes that they're coming, and you're in that last moment of your life, it suddenly becomes official. The warden is standing there. His captains are there. A priest is there. 
and they announce we're here to take you to your chamber. Do you have any last words? I mean, that's some heavy stuff. Whether you're deserved or not, and you know how I feel about that. There are some people I believe that deserve it. That's an incredibly uh, theatrical uh, situation, system. It's just bad. So that's your question. There it is. Yeah, and California will put you on suicide watch up until the day, the minute before you're executed. So I think it is an authority thing. You know, you're not going to do this. We're the only ones that are going to be doing this, which to me flies in the face of the things that people admire about America, which is personal liberty. I, <laughs> I'm i not saying they should be handing razor blades out to people, but I don't know. To some degree, I think you should have the right to kill yourself. Well, they do have the right. I mean, you can do it. No one's going to find out. I mean, if they're coming, you know that your appeals are done. You're, you have no real choice. You feel like, I'm not going to let these guys make a circus out of my death. You do it yourself. You sure, yeah, you could do it. But, you know, but look, there's always that chance there's a court going to come in and if you repeat at the last second, what if you beat them to the punch, you kill yourself, and you realize wherever you're at, like, oh, man, they were going to change their mind at the last minute. So, right. yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of, it's a decision that you have to make for yourself. But uh, San Quentin is notorious. There's been, as I said, over 400 executions here, and that system, um, look, it's still in place today, but the governor gave a reprieve, a moratorium on it, does not mean that the executions will end or that the process will end. There are people still being sentenced to death in California. The courts are still adjudicating the process and the procedures of going through the execution. I mean, I'm going through an appeal process, and if I lose that appeal process, I will be in that line next, standing for an execution or being in line to be executed. And if Governor Newsom is out of office and there's another governor that believes in it, he will immediately say, yeah, continue on. So the machine begins to start all over again. The governor of California does not have the, the power to end executions. As a law, all he has the right to do is to give someone a commutation new sentence or put a moratorium, which is basically a stay. It just stops it while he's in office. That's it. I'm interested in the optics of this. and. My feeling is that the state is executing people. We don't want to get into the reasons, but we know that they are doing it. And yet they want to sugarcoat it a little bit. And what I mean by that is, you know, you look at the gas chamber, there's a window in there. So you can see in and, and verify that someone is being executed. If you think about it, why would you need to strap someone down? to be in a gas chamber that really has no relation to them inhaling the gas. I think it's probably because if someone was being executed and they just stuck him in that chamber with a door that doesn't open from the inside, which is probably pretty easy to do. I'm sure they can handle it. And he's suffocating and looking through that window mouthing, help me. And then he, uh, his body collapses and his head slides down the window and people start describing that. I bet, there wouldn't be many more executions by gas at that point. Well, they want to make it look as uh, clinical as possible by strapping them in gas chamber. But, but remember, look, the bigger picture is that the state of California has the right to bring in, I think it's 50 witnesses. And the person being executed also brings witnesses. And, of course, the state brings the victim's family, brings all these people. So it becomes a theater. I'm like, come on, let's, let's be honest about this. Let's not sugarcoat it. There are windows surrounding the entire chamber so people can look in and watch the guy get executed. Look, I don't know about you, but I don't want to go in there to watch someone guy get executed. However, let's be honest, if that person had did something against a family member of mine or something or, or a child of mine or something, you know, and be honest, you know, it'd probably be a, a good argument for wanting to see that person punished. Now, does it have to become a theater for people? 
I think that's part of the process now because the state of California has executed executions. They want people to witness it so they can leave here and say, look, justice was done. The law has been uh, fully uh, exercised, and that's what it's about. Yeah, but it is theater, like you said. I mean, the California, I guess, is more liberal than other states. You have the electric chair. That's theater, too, but that's like a monster truck rally or something, right? Yeah, that's pretty serious stuff. You get all these bolts going through your body. You're shaking up and down. You know, that's pretty deep stuff right there. Well, just the contraption, though. I mean, just the... Yeah, the little the little crown and everything. Yeah, that's, that's pretty deep. <laughs> yeah. So women were being executed kind of from the beginning. Sort of. It was 1941 when, uh, uh, 1941, November 21st, the first woman is put to death at San Quentin Prison uh, by the gas chamber. And that woman was, um, and I'm going to get her name wrong, Ethiopia Juanita, and she was known as the Duchess. And she was put to death at St. Quentin. And there's only been actually four women put to death at St. Quentin. And uh, the last one being in 1962 on, on August the 8th, Elizabeth and Duncan. She was known as Ma, M-A. I guess like Mama or Mom. She was probably the, the head of, a, of something. You know, she was kind of the, the leader of a little gang. And she's put to death by the gas chamber. And that's the last woman. There's only been four at St. Quentin. And, you know, this is kind of a non sequitur, but I would have thought that after the events that led the United States into World War II, which a lot of it was what Germany was doing in the Holocaust, I would have thought the idea of gas chambers would have just become too unpopular for Americans to stomach at that point. Has that ever been brought up by anyone? You know, a lot of the guys here, they, they become these history buffs on different parts of their culture, especially their ethnically, ethnical people, like people of color. And I've heard people make that connection that, you know, we went to war against Adolf Hitler and he was basically passing Jews to death. Um, but you've got to understand how convicts talk. And the other side of the argument was, look, those are innocent people. The Jewish people that are being executed were innocents. So yeah, it was a most monstrosity. It was a, a horrible thing that this, this guy by the name of Adolf Hitler did. But in this instance, sometimes the argument is, look, you guys are all freaking guilty and whatever you get you deserve don't make this into a culture or racial thing because you have nothing to do or you're nowhere close to being one of the holocaust people so to compare yourself to a holocaust person is an insult to those people that suffered those type of uh, executions at the hands of a of a german machine so you gotta understand there's a lot of guys who don't believe that there's any kind of, of uh, a kindred spirit may come to that because the guys on death row, some of them are guilty and um, certainly so should be put to death. Yeah, obviously it's not a great analogy because we're talking about innocent, unsuspecting people versus people who have killed other people. Um, to me, it's just the optics. You know, like I, I don't like seeing police with German shepherds standing around occupying an airport, particularly for no apparent reason, just given, you know, the optics that we have with that, with what went down in Selma, Alabama. Uh, I don't know. I just kind of think they should, we should be more aware of the history of things and how they can come off, especially in certain cases to people that uh, that's part of their history. Yeah. And there's, there's also a ready alternative. Look, you know, we've talked about this, the gas chamber, the execution chamber, death penalty, at least in California, it does not work. But we know it doesn't. 
Uh, it's it's a money situation. There's millions of dollars being spent every year that could be spent on children, homeless people. But the gas chamber is there as a representation of what happens to really bad, bad people. But the truth of the matter is, a lot of the guys here uh, are people of color. They're, they're poor people. They don't have the means, like O.J. Simpson did, to represent himself. And I always use him as, a, as, a, as a, an example because he was a man of color, or is a man of color, and he was able to pay seven, eight million dollars and basically to get away with whatever he did. I don't have that kind of money. All the guys on death row don't have that kind of money. So we're left with public defenders and this machine just continues when you know it costs $97,000 a year to house me here because when I get put here, they give me lawyers, they give me a cell to myself, all these things that I get that I would not have gotten or received if I had received life without the possibility of parole. Uh, and it only costs forty-three dollars to $47,000 a year, which is still a lot of money to put into an inmate when you give them life without possibility of parole or give any amount of time in prison. Uh, can you imagine what you, if you've given that kind of money to a child for his education every year? We wouldn't have crime probably, or the percentage would be very low. But the gas chamber executions are what they are, and um, they're going to continue as long as politicians can use that as a lever to be hard on crime, which is really, they're lying to the, to the public because um, nothing can be further from the truth. Yeah. And like when you said, we have documented evidence that at least one person that I know of who was fairly indisputably innocent has been executed. That was not in California, but I'm just saying as a country, once you do that, especially because most of the people I would posit that go to execution rallies are Christians. I don't know how that works exactly, but it might be time to rethink it. So the gas chamber is, it, it conjures up, you know, images of Dr. Strangelove, almost like a mad scientist invention. Um, it, it looks like something from the era of gas masks and air raids and just something from another time, which it is. And so I don't know if that was part of the reason that we moved on to lethal injection, which is now the preferred method in many states. It is. And lethal injection became, at least in California, it was 1996, they made that the form of execution in California. And the first person that was put to death by lethal injection was a character by the name of William Bonnie, also known as the Freeway Killer. And, you know, to argue against the death penalty, this is a perfect case where those who are for it would say, look, this is a perfect example of someone you should kill. And I don't know that I'm against that. This guy murdered, you know, 27 children. He was a, a pedophile, a piece of garbage. And, um, whether you believe in the death penalty or not, you all agree that this guy right here was not worthy of life. I mean, he tortured and killed so many children, so many boys, and uh, he said it himself. I mean, this is a perfect case for having some type of ultimate punishment or sentence. And this is a perfect example of that. The guy, they asked him, what would you be doing if you were out? And his reply was, I'd be killing. I love it. It got easier each time, and I love it. I'd be killing and raping. So, I mean, this guy right here, but then again, if you think about it, Matt, this is the perfect example of what the death penalty was paid for. And this guy would have been the poster child for it, but given that fact that he's a serial killer, that's a perfect example. Not these guys that are poor, it's their first offense, and they're, you know, they don't have the means, and it's just the wrong people get put on death row for the most part. This is one example of a guy that should be on death row or, or actually was on death row and was executed. But yeah, it's turned into basically now making more humane to kill somebody and the drugs used, whether they work or not, 
they do ultimately kill. Right. So I think there's something in the whole concept of this lethal injection cocktail, something plainly dishonest about it. And what I mean by that is that there's three drugs involved. The first is a sedative. Uh, usually it's sodium thiopental. And so you're sedated. The second drug is a neuromuscular blocking drug, usually uh, Bessaronium bromide. So what that does is paralyze you. And when you're paralyzed, you can't convulse as much. You can't see the pain on the person's face, on their body. Thirdly, the potassium chloride stops their heart. But without that sedative, with that, with that, uh, without these other two drugs, one of which sedates you, the other one essentially paralyzes you. Just because you're paralyzed doesn't mean you're not feeling the pain. Again, with someone like Bonin, I don't really care. Um, but I, I just like to be told up front what's going on. So when when you're blocking, when you're giving a specific drug that makes the optics of it look less intense, I don't think that's an honest way of going about it. Well, you're probably right. But I mean, you, you said the key phrase of it was, it was a guy like Bonnie who give it down. He made a lot of people suffer, so therefore he should suffer the ultimate death. And I don't know if I disagree with that particular viewpoint. Um, but yeah, you're, you're right. Then it comes the whole thing of who should die, who shouldn't die. And the way that the law was written, it was for the irredeemable, for the worst of the worst. We don't have that happening today. We don't have the worst of the worst. Yes, we have some of them. Yes, absolutely. But there are a lot of guys on main lines with life in prison. They're never going to get out, so they're, it's safe for the public. But they have worse cases, much worse cases, than guys that are here on the road. Um, so, yeah, the whole honesty thing, that's hard to call. I, I've never been executed. I don't know what it feels like. Um, I've heard reports how the person responds once they're injected, how their body responds to it. There's obviously some pain. Even there's argument, there's a lot of pain involved, um, but it's it, it, you know it's it's something that the it's something the public has wanted in California. It's obvious because every time there's an execution, there are a bunch of witnesses who want to go in there and watch a guy get um, get gassed or, or or killed by lethal injection. So there's a morbid curiosity to it that um, and it's pretty interesting to know that even happens in today's day and age when we know what's going on and we're still. We had that rubberneck mentality of looking at a at a train wreck. Right. Well, that's why I really honestly like what Utah's doing with the idea of the firing squad. Uh, Two thousand two, a guy named Ronnie Lee Gardner is executed by a firing squad, and what that entails is you get several, three or four, or five or more uh, prison executioners they're given guns only one has the bullet so they all fire and one of them kills the guy and they don't have the guilt of knowing that they administered a lethal injection or that they turn the knob to fill that chamber with gas secondly if it was me i'd much rather be shot in the head and die instantaneously than be subjected to these strange rituals. Yeah, I'm not sure that's part of the... Look, I've talked to a couple of people that have actually been part of the death squad. And what I mean by that is the people that go take the person in. Um, and I've talked to them about that. One of them specifically took William Bonding into the chamber who was the freeway killer. Let me call right back. Hey, Matt. Uh, yeah, keep going. So as I was saying, they I talked to them personally, and they said, look, I have a problem people knowing that I was in that chamber. The guy deserved to die. I don't care. And, of course, you have the other side of that, which the person doesn't feel comfortable. He's more in touch with who he is as a human. He 
somehow connects with the person being human and they want nothing to do with that. So you have both sides of this back and forth on what is right, what isn't right, what they feel, should they feel anything, especially with a guy like William Bonney. But let's, let's look at the picture in the yard. There are conversations on those yards on death row happening or in prisons around the country all the time where particular guys with a particular amount of power make decisions to have another person killed. Now, a guy in a black robe may have sentenced you to death, but when you get to San Quentin, you have, some guys have the mentality that they're, you know, that they were judged, they were thrown in prison, and no one really knew who they were, but yet these same guys are making decisions on these yards to have somebody else killed who's a prisoner or a convict. So, you know, you, you have both sides of this argument, both sides of these people. You have conservatives and liberals in prison as well. You, look, San Quentin's death row is no different than, it's just a micro-society that reflects the one that you live in. We have Democrats, we have Republicans, we have conservatives, we have liberals, and they all have an opinion on here. I will admit that, you know, I know a couple of people that know both law enforcement officers as well as convicts. And one of them happens to be married to one. She was married to a, a law enforcement officer, and then she married a person, a, a convict. And I asked her, well, were they complete? Because no, it was the first same guy. You'd be surprised on how alike the convict was and the law enforcement. They thought the same, they looked the same, they talked the same. Because when you're in prison a lot, among, amongst a lot of men, you tend to form these opinions that seem to be a bit conservative. And I know I reflect that. But, you know, it's really hard. I mean, you're, you're a person that's out there, like a lot of the audience, they may seem a little bit differently. They may, but you're not in that situation, so you don't know how you'll feel. You're getting it from me who's in prison, and I, I'm usually pretty candid about how I feel about things. I think over the past 28, 29 episodes, you know that I'm kind of a conservative, that I have a pretty strong opinion of how things should be, and I have no problem voicing that opinion. But... You know, that's just the way people are in prison, and it's no different than the, the world you live in. Well, I'm kind of conservative on the issue, I guess, in that while being against the death penalty, if you are going to do it, I just think it should be up front. This is what we're doing. We want to kill this guy. We're going to shoot him. This sort of veneer of civility where you take him into a room and everyone, you know, gets to gets to look really dour while they shoot them up with drugs when they don't even know what's going on, by the way. Uh, countries in Europe won't even supply the drugs because they don't want to be associated with it. I just think if you're going to be doing it, the lethal injection thing is too political, in my opinion, because I, I think it's trying to soften the blow to soften the actual fact of what's going on for people who are just casually paying attention to it. No, you're right, yeah. No, that's exactly what it is. The lethal injection makes it humane to kill somebody. Now, they want to just beat you to death or strangle you to death and be like, oh my God, that's horrible. I mean, what the hell are you guys doing? But since the guy falls asleep or he appears to fall asleep, oh, he could be paralyzed, he's screaming inside, it burns, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah, so you have uh, this this uh, facade of that it's, it's humane and he just goes to sleep. So you're right. Absolutely. It, it's a way of, it, it's an easier pill to swallow is what it is. Yeah. Interestingly, in other countries, they're still hanging people. In Japan, I believe, in Iran, where they execute a lot of people, that's still the preferred method. And I don't know, I guess certain people look at Iran as being, I don't know, a country that needs to get get its head in the game as far as being a part of of modern day you know, uh there are some practices in no, iran actually, that need to be eradicated no, it's actually kind of yeah it's kind of actually curious you say that because you know we, we always talk about iran iraq these places being third world countries and barbaric etc and well they execute people and the united states still execute them so but they separate themselves as you mentioned Lethal injection is very humane, it's very nice, it's clinical, it's very clean, no blood. But yet we see on on television that the journalist who, an Iranian or Iraqi, I'm not sure who those guys were, but these terrorists 
they get this guy and, and with, a, with a knife in their hand, they cut the guy's head off. And of course, that's barbaric. Oh my God. It's the same result. You're still killing somebody, right? Yeah, I got so angry when I first left Alaska and, and this was kind of during the invasion of Afghanistan, but it still goes on. And people are saying, oh man, those guys are barbarians. And meanwhile, the U.S. presents their drone strike program as this exacting science where people monitor this stuff and 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 they're these these geniuses who have a, this pinpoint on a map and in reality they're dropping bombs and blowing up weddings uh full of women and children on a regular basis and to me there's nothing more civilized about it just because it's um i guess it looks more advanced the result on the ground is not more advanced no, absolutely not. I mean, we see it. We say, "Oh man, it's so humane." It's, it's, it's like a surgeon going in and pulling a cancer out because we see it on television. But I'm sure if you're, if you're sitting on the ground floor when that bomb hits, there is no exact bomb. This thing blows up and it goes all over the place. And there's body parts everywhere. So that's actually funny how people, you know, they kind of give you that picture of exact science that we're extracting it. No, it's a bomb, man. It goes off, it goes boom, and there's body parts everywhere. And when it happens, you hear these politicians, whoops, uh, we're sorry. Uh, right. Yeah. Same, uh, look, execution is the same result, whether it's done with a you know, knife, hanging, lethal injection. The only humane way of dying is the way I want to die, of old age. Well, I hope you do, although that sounds like a creepy thing to say, actually, but <laughs> I guess. <laughs> you know, we've been talking about a lot of creepy things here, Matt, and it's just not, uh, you know, old age is probably the best one, but yeah. And we'll be back next week with some more stories from San Quentin Prison's Death Row. We appreciate you listening. I've been Matt Ralston. And this is William Nagaro. Always be aware of your surroundings, your life may depend on it. And just as an afterthought, um, please write into Matt and tell us what you think of these episodes about the prison itself, the yard. Um, Matt and I have discussed possibly doing an episode about a particular incident in the yard that took place in the yard several years back, or involved the, you know, the loss of a human life. And would you guys be interested in hearing that kind of stuff? Let Matt know. Yeah, I do read the Instagram and Facebook messages, so drop us a line, let us know what you think, and make sure and rate and review the show. And we, I guess, we're done until next time. Take it easy.